Social Impact CX, the podcast that helps you drive mission and make a difference with customer experience. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for Social Impact CX, the podcast. I'm John Corrigan, and I'll be your guide to how you can drive mission and achieve social impact with customer experience work. This is episode nine of Social Impact CX, and again, thanks for listening. Today, I'm grateful for counting among my friends a guy by the name of Thomas Martin. Thomas is a customer experience expert, and he has tons of career experience in working with customer-focused teams across industries such as hospitality and entertainment. Uh, Thomas has had a diverse set of experiences in his career, ranging from engaging with automotive industry clients to regularly working across human resources and learning and development initiatives that are directly related to customer and client work. He really understands the relationship between teams, culture, and providing good customer experiences. I had the chance to spend some time with Thomas talking about customer experience and social impact. He shared his thoughts with me on a variety of subjects, including how you think about learning versus training and and empowerment of team members and how empowerment leads to ownership, which leads to creating a good CX, which all of those concepts I think apply, whether you're working in a for-profit, non-profit, social impact environment, whatever the case might be. One of my favorite parts of the conversation we had recently is when Thomas talked about freedom in a framework in terms of empowering different team members and how that approach can empower those team members to do the right thing based upon whatever situation they may find themselves in. Social Impact CX podcast episode nine is the first part of my conversation with Thomas Martin, and there will be more to come from my discussions with him. If you have a question or comment about what Thomas and I are talking about in this episode, please send an email to comment at socialimpactcx.com. Also, as usual, you can comment online or connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, or SoundCloud, wherever that is you're listening. And I'll also provide detailed contact info here at the end of this recording. So without further delay, here's part one of my conversation with Thomas Martin. I hope you find it as interesting as I did. All right, Thomas. So as a customer experience expert, you you work in a couple different areas specifically. You work a lot with brand, and then you also work a lot with development and leadership, and then there's this word training and learning. How does that all interrelate? You know, it's it's interesting. My personal journey in the realm of training slash learning starting out as a the training manager at the world of Astoria a yeah. hundred years ago when I first got my my big break into the world of training and that was a, an era where you know you were hired you were taught the policies the procedures here's how we do things and nowhere was there ever a conversation about what do we want to be known for or the culture of the organization it was this is what you're supposed to do. And so, you know, my, my journey from there, where it was all about, here's a training module, learn it and teach it. And I can recall along the way, um, 
you know, I'm sort of scrambling as an individual without really a mentor early on. So I remember finding the organization ASTD, American Society for Training and Development. Yeah. And that organization is now known as ATD, which is um, the Association for Talent Development. Talent versus employee. Or, Correct. Yes. Uh-huh. And that was an interesting journey that, that I took even when I went into... Um, W Hotels when we launched as I was hired as the the casting director because we were all about right. this that was all about being an on stage persona for the audience I think one of the most fascinating experiences Tom has had is that in the early days of W Hotels as a luxury boutique brand was being kind of birthed and, and, and a new market sector being yeah. created Tom was in charge of casting and so it because it's all about the team members that create an experience, but you, you tell it. I mean, you're the ex, you're the expert. Well, I joined as the brand was launched, and the the idea was taking what had been started um, by others like the Ian Schrager's of the world of having unique design, you know, having a unique restaurant experience, and being more what people wanted to have in their personal lives. So the idea was to launch a brand within a larger hotel organization. So there would be more transference from a consistency standpoint. So I was hired as the casting director and, and my charge was not only how to find these individuals in a recruitment standpoint, but how to onboard them, but how to um, educate them into what the brand was all about. So the idea was that these were gonna be cast members, they were on stage, very Disney-esque. Um, but the fact that they were going to have this on-stage presence and that meant that they were, there was going to be this expectation of how they were going to engage and interact with their customers. So not just an employee going through the motions, but that they were going to be, in many ways, we wanted the customers that we were looking to attract to see themselves in these cast members. Now, this, is, this is fascinating. You are touching on so many points here because this is actually huge work. So a cast, when you see a play, you see a cast on a stage, but the only way that, that the play comes off correctly is that there's a group of people working behind the stage, mm-hmm. and so there's front of house and back of house, and then, you know, a, a play doesn't go very well if everyone's there to just, you know, be there for a job. It's a team of people mm-hmm. that are making the, the show, and so, and you transferred those concepts to a hotel environment. Yes, and, and the, the challenging part was because I started and then we were going to open, I think we opened nine properties within a year. Nine properties. And there was nothing, you know, we were part of an organization that had just merged three big brands and companies together, Sheraton Weston and Starwood Capital. Sure. Yeah. So while all of that's going on, we're launching a brand, so policies, procedures, and standards were a wing and a prayer. <laughs> As a hope is not a strategy, but we <laughs> rode by the seat of our pants. But my initial charge was, okay, we have this onstage persona. We want to hire certain individuals, um, work with the Gallup organization to help define, here's who we want, so how do I interview? And this is when behavioral interviewing was in its infancy. Sure. You know, it used to be before that you hired on experience. So again, have this concept of of cast member being on stage, and so um, 
while we had really um, unusual methods at the time for recruiting, but how did we how did we dip them into the sauce of a brand where it was still so new I couldn't say, have you gone on to the internet? We're talking 1998, 1999, sure. Sure. To, to, to look us, uh, to really scout us out. So that's when it really became evident to me that I'm not training these individuals per se as that they need to go on a, a learning experience. I had to be able to talk about the nuances of the brand. And this is the first time I'd ever had to link a brand with learning. So I knew what <clears throat> we wanted to be known for. And I'm trying to remember if it was what we're calling it a positioning statement uh, there, were, there were different terms along the way. And now a lot of companies talk about their vision, but it's what do you want to be known for? Right. So I had to back the learning into that. Because if you're saying to the outside world, whatever you wanted to say, this is who we are and what your experience is like, then you have to deliver it internally. So now you're having this onstage persona. Now, that's an important point. And so wh whatever it is you say your brand is going to be, which actually your brand is more than what you say. But that's what you're, Well, now in 2018, it's what your customers ex say you Exactly. Are. It's what your customers say you are or whoever it is that you're helping. Whoever's having that experience, it's, it's what they say you are. But back to a very important point is um, uh, the culture is what produces that. And, and, you know, there are many aspects of that. And, and a lot of that has to go with who are, who, you know, because this was the, was the infancy of an organization. So you had more control over the kinds of individuals that you're, you know, like-minded individuals. But, right. yet, but yet, you know, the diversity aspect is important, but, but there has to be a similar alignment with um, doing something new and different and having that comfort level of, flying a bit by the seat of your pants, listening to your internal and external customers along the way. But in the same breath as I circle back to, I quickly realized I wasn't about training them. And somebody once said, well, you train a dog. <laughs> you, you educate a human being. Wow. And I was like, wow, that was pretty powerful, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I think the, the aspect was, in the beginning, I had very little other than sort of concepts to share. So there was, a, there was a lot of learning that took place of understanding the basic concepts of the brand and letting the individuals be themselves. I call it freedom in a framework. Yep. Letting the individuality show through in support of the brand but again, I wasn't training them with a script like you might I, in, I in, a, this, in a play. This is a great point. If you think of freedom in a framework, and so you want the people that you hire to be your cast in the lobby or at the front desk to be themselves. Well, it's, um, it's, but, kind of, it's kind of like um, improv. Improv, exactly. But in the, in the social impact and nonprofit world, you have a lot of people doing what they're doing because they want to serve. They want to help. They have, they're self-directed into that employment experience. Perhaps they've had a personal experience with something related to health or social impact, whatever it is. And so I think the, the authenticity to be found in treating your team members in this concept of 
freedom, but within a framework, I think is a really interesting concept to apply to social impact in nonprofits because there's a lot of parallels, I think. Just like you want people to be themselves in a W hotel or some other boutique luxury experience, you want somebody to be themselves. If, if they have personal experience in helping to care for people in a situation, you want that to come through. Well, yeah, and it's interesting that I can remember in the 90s the buzzword was empowerment. Yeah. Empower your team to take care of your customers and let them make decisions. And I can remember when it was introduced to me and like the first time somebody got in trouble for doing something, everybody just stopped this whole concept. But even today, people still use this, you know, I'm, I'm currently working with a large service provider where they're introducing a service framework and they, they've got... Um, you know, sort of some pillars of, of how to make decisions. And so everyone's like, oh, it's empowerment, it's empowerment. The last several years of my career, I've been trying to get companies to use the word ownership. Ownership. Because in the moment, whoever, whoever you know, if whoever they're providing a, a service to, whoever they're engaging with, you want the individual to own that experience. You want them to own whoever's in front of them, to own, you know, if this person needs empathy, if they need information, if they need knowledge, whatever it is, to be able to think about what can I do to assist this person and, and to, you know, their experience with me should take them to a, a, a new level of understanding or uh, feeling um, connected to or engaged with the organization, but I got to own it. Right. <laughs> I once had somebody said, "You got to work it till you own it," <laughs> and and it's and it's true. The yeah. you know so so when I hear people say empowerment, I cringe because it seems very transactional. I had a bad experience, so therefore I'm going to give you a free bottle of wine or take twenty percent off. Therefore, I'm done. Versus, you know what? I want you to look back and remember that your experience was still good. Not that my experience sucked, but I got twenty percent off. Right. That to me in my brain, that's how I distinguish between the two. Interesting. Not everybody agrees. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you want your <clears throat> associates, your talent, your cast members to own what the brand, the desired experience is to be like that then backs into what do you want to be known for right. as a company, as a brand, as a product, whatever the case may be. Right. So if that's the case, let's just go back and recap. Yep. How would you describe the difference between an employee versus a team <laughs> team member. Well, you know, I'm amazed in 2018, the companies that still refer to their employees. To me, to me as empl an employee is a person that stands in line, punches the time clock, goes out, makes the widget, punches out and goes home. It's a very, it's a very, you know. And for our listeners, keep in mind, <clears throat> we're talking about this because we're talking about customer experience. There's a whole other set of issues related to human resources yeah. or talent strategy, whatever it is you call it in your organization. This speaks directly to the experiences you provide to your customers or the people you're trying to help. Well, if I, if I, if I hire you and tell you you're my employee, right. and, and now so we're talking about the, the 60 million millennials that are out there in the workforce, yep. they don't take kindly because you know they want to become the boss when they're... 22. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, right. to malign millennials, um, but for an old guy like me who, you know, I had to earn my stripes um, along the way. But I think 
you know, there's so many things that go into creating a culture and environment, but I think something as simple as if I'm talking about ownership, so are you coming to the table as, as an associate? But I think so many companies are, are, you know, because you work in teams, right. so you have members of the team. So they're team members. I think, I think that's, that's the, is a pretty good baseline of that you're a member of the team, teams are important, you, you play an important role. And I think when people are, I think the way I'm verbally recognizing somebody, the way it's written, if it's written in my agreement in the employee, listen to me, the team member handbook, right. I'm so conditioned go. to the employee yeah. handbook. Um, but it does matter. It, it matters on how do you view my role in the organization. And so as a team member, I'm part of the team. It's inclusive. It, it, it makes me feel that no matter what level I'm on, I'm I'm included and and I'm respected and I'm valued, and so I've worked with companies like well we could never get there. I was like, would you settle for associate? Okay, so let's go from the '60s to the maybe the '80s, <laughs> um, because I really think the word employee puts me in. A, I'm here to really just serve a function in the production of the widget, and that's all I'm here for. Whereas in this day and age. You want people to, even if, if, if their customers are internal customers, right. you want them to, to own the experience, but also to treat it as if it were their company. Right. What would I do? Right. If this were my company, what would I want to have done? What do I think um, should be the contribution that I'm going to make? What, what will I do to go above and beyond? Right. Um, and not just to, 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 so I can get a promotion, but if the company benefits, I'm going to benefit. Gotcha. Well, if I'm treated like just another number, another cog in the wheel, I think I'm less apt to, to, to give it my all. Interesting. So, you know, again, companies worry about the, the newest way to offer the, you know, benefits, the, you know, how to stay competitive. But I go back to what I've said before. It's the basics yeah. that you, you, we get so caught up in the bigger picture. You know, I, I work with companies, you know, let's, let's talk about an employee versus a team member. What's my locker room look like? Hmm. What do my uniforms look like? What's the cap, is the cafeteria clean? You know, you talked about back of the house, behind the scenes. If you want me to take good care of people, how are you taking care of me? Taking it's, care of It's all interrelated. Exactly. How team members are taken care of is, is how customers, I think, will eventually be taken care of. So th there's another related topic here, though. So what does it say about leadership? And I know you've worked with mm -hmm. some huge brands mm -hmm. in the hospitality and travel and, and other fields as well, too, that are more... Um, physical product related in that. What does it say about leadership who thinks of their staff as employees as opposed to team members? And what, what advice would you have? Because this applies to nonprofits as well too. <laughs> Fish rots from the head down. <laughs> and I think and I think when I think we've all worked for leaders and bosses. 
you know, the boss was there to make sure things got done. The boss is looking over my shoulder. The boss calls me to the office if I do something wrong. And I've, in my career, I think it's, for me, it's easy to distinguish because I've always, I've worked for great companies, but I've always worked for people. Yeah. And I've worked for leaders that I would walk on hot coals for, even if I didn't always agree with them because I felt respected, I felt that they invested in me. I understood, you know, the why and the what. I always understood why I was doing what I was doing, and I understood what was expected of me. Now, sometimes I had to figure it out. But with a leader, I could go and ask questions. Right. Or I could question their decisions with the boss. No, I'm not going to do that. And I think that transcends through a lot of companies where there is a hierarchy. What's the difference between learning and training, mm-hmm. then, to go back to that subject? I've had several epiphanies about that in my career, and I think one of them is I walked into an organization um, that I had joined through an acquisition, and they had just built new offices, and they they were so proud with as much as it cost for Manhattan real estate that they had a training center. Ah. And, and I walked in, and I saw this beautiful sign in the door, and I'm like, training center. And in my head, I'm like, is that where they had the computers where they trained me how to use the latest software for certain applications? Because I'm thinking I'm being trained on a task. And so one of the first conversations I had, because I knew that they, they wanted the perspective of what I brought to the table, and one of the first things I said on my first day in the office, I said, can we rename the training center? No, I'm sorry. It was the training room. Training room. Training room. For an entire organization. The training room. I said, can we call it the learning center? And they're like, why? I said, isn't that a place that people should walk into and walk out of as a, not even a better individual, but they've had an experience that's going to take them to new heights? I also think that the connotation of training is that you're going to go learn something very, or you're going to learn a new task. My, one of my biggest things with learning in an organization, shouldn't most of these things also be life skills? They have a transference. Yeah. So I'm going to learn about, you know, uh, customer experience and how to uh, emotionally engage. And I'm going to learn about customization, personalization and customization. Well, shouldn't that also apply when I'm talking about, you know, a, a neighbor that I'm going to meet or, or somebody that uh, I'm going to meet a new family member, things like that. So I think the learning aspect is um, it's funny. I, I, can, I, can, I can create a visualization. I'm trying to put it into words. I think when, when, when somebody is taking on, on, a, on a new um, journey on, on their outlook on things, their approach to things, and I, if I go back to ownership, you know, owning something is there's so many various components, whereas if I'm just trained, okay, I now know, how I, I'll go back to my hotel experience, I now know how to use the computer in front of me to hit F7 that accepts your credit card and spits out a key. That's training. 
the learning is understanding about the person in front of me. Right. The experience I'm looking to create, how to engage with the individual, how to be empathetic with the individual, um, how to take on a cue of, oh, wow, you know, you're looking at their sports jersey to connect with them or saying a nice jacket or, you know, I love the Yankees as well, but I've gone beyond what I'm trained to do with the keyboard in front of me. I have no idea if this is resonating with, with everyone that's listening. Oh, no. But I think that's absolutely the case. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're assigning people into a center or whether you're part of a core service delivery team or whatever that is. Um, understanding beyond a task, the context of what you're working, that it gets to that subject of empathy that you're... It, it combines yeah. task and empathy and understanding and context I, I think. You know, I, I had somebody that was really trying to understand what I do and, and if it's curriculum that I've designed or from delivering curriculum that another company has put together. And so I think of the people who are going to spend a couple of hours with me, hopefully in a very conducive environment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I view my role often as a facilitator is I'm gonna take them on a journey and they're gonna walk into the room and they will know certain aspects probably already of what they are gonna go through, but I need to take everybody in that room, wherever they may plug into the current condition, I need to quickly bring them together in some sort of alignment, be that your objectives, and now we all need to go together so that when we walk out, we're much more aligned. Yeah. We knew a lot more than we did going in, and maybe it was something that I already knew or I wasn't interpreting the right way. But but if you think about this journey that every company every company's on some sort of a journey, I'm I'm further along in the journey. I'm much more aligned, and hopefully I feel a heck of a lot better about the company and myself as yep. an individual. Yep. And probably can you know, I, for example, I, I I teach a lot of classes on body language. I love when someone has learned something that they can now use throughout their life. Right. So it's not a, <clears throat> I just learned, spent three hours learning about a certain work task, which yes, there's a lot of compliance and things that are important, but when people are able to take away something that's benefited them as an individual, not as the employee, yeah. which is, I think, training <laughs> equals employee, and learning equals team yeah. member. Yeah. I think if you work in a social impact environment, you're on a journey, you and your team members. If you're, a, if you're a B corporation or you have some other type of social enterprise, you're, of course you're coming to the office every day to do work, but you're on a journey. You're there with your team members. You're trying to achieve something. You're trying to make a difference somehow. And I think understanding how to more effectively work as a team member because you understand more and, and perhaps you bring those personal experiences to the table. I think that's really, really important. And I think not everybody, doesn't matter what generation you're from, not everybody is taking a job and their, their sole focus is to get ahead. Right. Some people are completely happy with um, acquiring a, a role in an organization and doing a good job. And I think one of the things that still keeps people engaged is when they continue to learn yep. when a company still continues to invest in them 
and, and here's what's interesting, and I've had this debate with a lot of uh, individuals in, in my arena, so to speak. I also think that just sharing information yeah. qualifies as learning. Because some people say, oh, you got to build a training module. Excuse me, a learning module. See, old habits die hard. I said, but you know what? When, when you're communicating important information about the organization, you know, if you're communicating about, you know, where you're going with a new product, if you're communicating about, uh, you know, uh, even, even just a, ch- a change in structure, when I am being informed, I'm learning. And, and the more I, I think when people start to feel in the dark or they don't know what's going on around them, then they disassociate. So one of the things, I think that's a very important point. One of the things I talk about in applying customer experience concepts to a social impact or nonprofit environment is that you cannot be successful by yourself. It requires collaboration and you, you, you need to work on creating an environment where you learn from your colleagues and you, by collaborate, collaborating with them. And the sharing of information ends up becoming, in some organizations, many organizations, it becomes a political act. But how can you provide an overall experience that helps somebody unless you're really working together and sharing information so that you learn from each other? Because no one does everything by themselves. And so it, and, and I think being aware of this aspect and that that's part of your learning culture is learning from each other. I think that's, I think that contributes to your ability to be successful in providing better experiences. So that was the first set of highlights from my conversation with customer experience expert, Thomas Martin. And as I've said before, Social Impact CX is also intended to be an interactive forum here at the podcast, a place to stir conversation and answer questions, provide context and definitions, hopefully achieve a better understanding of CX work. So what questions do you have after listening to Thomas? You can ask a question or make a comment at Social Impact CX a couple different ways. First, you can send an email to comment at socialimpactcx.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-T at S-O-C-I-A-L-I-M-P-A-C-T-C-X dot com. You can also find us on Twitter and post a question there. Our Twitter handle is at Social Impact CX. And if you feel so inclined, please include the hashtag SOCIMPCX. And please follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with new podcasts and other related content. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, the handle at JF Corrigan. Or if you're listening to this podcast via YouTube uh, or SoundCloud, SoundCloud, please feel free to post a question there in the comments section, and we'll do our best to uh, catch you with an, there with an answer. And while at YouTube, please subscribe to the Social Impact CX channel to stay current with all of our audio and video recordings. This is John Corrigan reminding you that, especially in social impact work, it's important to understand that your mission is really all about someone else's journey. And the more you know about someone's journey, the more you can help. Thanks for listening to Social Impact CX.